Ephesians chapter 1. Thank you, Trevor, for those good words on remembering. You said something about being a powerful thing in our lives, and it, it really is. You said it better than I just said it, but that remembering of why we're here and who we're living for. Also, John, he spoke this morning on our journey point, and he mentioned uh, that our life being uh, worship, our daily worship. And one of the words that were phrases we've used in the past is prayer as an act of worship. And so today we're going to look at how that act of worship is a daily worship. And I've entitled this Walking in Life Prayer. So we'll see how this ties together. If you look down at verse 15, where we are today, 15 through 19, there's a natural transition here. It's going from one thought to another thought. And the first part has been called a doxology, a, a song of praise, praise about what God has done. And this transitions into a prayer, a prayer for others. And he uses these words, for this reason, for this reason, that's a transitional word, and it literally means to cross a bridge, to cross from one point to another. And so we're coming, reading through here, and we come to a phrase for this reason that means crossing over to our next point, crossing the bridge here, so he comes into this next thought. And what has happened here is he has been, we have been with Paul gazing and contemplating on what I've called a panoramic view of God's work in our lives. And then we're going to see, well, where does this lead us to? It doesn't just stop there. When we gaze at God and we see him, where does that lead us to? And we're going to see where this leads us to. Now, before we go in, in there, <clears throat> most of you or many of you know that as I do a study, I take what I've been studying, the words I've been looking at, and I write a paraphrase. And this paraphrase might be called an expanded paraphrase. It's, or you might call it a, my sermons put into simple words. <laughs> taking a big sermon and putting it in and in, in decreasing it, or taking the scriptures and trying to bring out the meaning of it. And so as we transition from one point to the other, I want to go through the first 14 verses in the paraphrase to kind of to help us see where we've been and then see where we're going. This is Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. I, Paul, Christ Jesus' messenger by God's design, write those made holy in Christ Jesus and who exercise their faith in the city of Ephesus. Grace and peace come to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Shout hallelujah and brag about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every single spiritual blessing in Christ. For before the creation of the world, God decided that when he looked upon those in Christ, he would see them as holy and blameless people. In his love, he decided long before creation that he would adopt us through Jesus Christ because it gave him great pleasure 
and he wanted to do it. Oh, we can brag about this tremendous grace. He gave us this grace, this gift without cost to us in the one he loves. In him we have been purchased by his blood, and in, in accordance to God's great riches, he has completely forgotten all about the wrongs we have done against him. He lavished his free and beautiful gift on us because he knew that that was exactly what we needed. Then he let us in on a secret, his own personal secret because it gave him good pleasure and he had planned this all along in Christ. Here's his open secret. Under Christ's management and control, at just the right moment and with precise timing, all things in heaven and on earth are brought back once again under his rule. In him we were also made heirs having been destined long ago to receive our inheritance according to his perfect plan. He works out everything like a master musician, leading a choir in perfect harmony according to his will, so that we, the first ones, to place our hope in Christ, might be a song of praise, of rightful braggadocia to his glory. And you, too, were included in Christ when you heard his truth, the good news of your salvation, Having completely turned your trust over to him, a seal was permanently embedded in you, the promised Holy Spirit. He is a down payment to you, which guarantees that you will receive an inheritance when God finally closes the books on all that are his. Praise his glory. And now we come into this section. We've been emphasizing, we could say, this upward part of our journey which would be our relationship with Christ. And, of course, when you think upward, you automatically think of your prayer life. And so I want to ask you, how's your prayer life been going? You have been talking about this upward journey, this upward journey. Uh, what does he have hanging on here? Your personal relationship with God. And we're thinking about prayer. And so how's your prayer life going? And so we're going to touch on this passage here in verse 15 through 19. And then we're going to come back to it. As you see in your bulletin, we're going to come back the first Sunday in May, back to Ephesians. So we'll be out, of, out for a little while from Ephesians. But we'll return to it, and we'll look at this in more depth. But we're going to touch on it today. And I hope the touch will encourage you. I want to talk about times of prayer. How's your prayer life been going? Let, let's, let, before we do that, let's, why don't we read the Scripture? <laughs> I had it in my notes to read it, and then I skipped over it. Let's read verses 15 through 19. Very important. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. There's so much in that. We'll, we'll get there. Time, how do you normally pray when we think of prayer? And as I was thinking about prayer this week, how we normally, the, and I say we as a group, and it may not apply to you personally, but we usually center our prayer on the need of the moment. Something is happening in our life that drives us to prayer. 
I often hear about Christians having conversations with Christians, and they, they talk about going through their life, just going through the day, spending the day, and then realizing at the end of the day they hadn't even thought of God. They just walked through life. I, I remember a very close Christian brother who I, would, who I would say is a godly person who is not in this room right now. So if you think I'm talking about you, it's not you. <laughs> and if it applies to you, good. But he said, you know, he was too busy to think about God at work. He was just too busy. He never thought about God at work. And there's so many things that are happening in our life. We have distractions, the distractions of life. Busy, we just get busy. Things distract us, our work, concerns, worries. And then it occurs to us, oh, oh, I need to include God in my day. Something is going, I've been so busy, oh, now I'm going to get, it's like I'm here and God's in the other office. And I'm working in my office and suddenly I remember, oh, I need to ask God a question. And so I pick up the phone and I dial his extension and I talk to him, just like you do a workmate. I have a question, so I call the person, so I have a question for God, so now I call on him. And to a degree, we all do this. But as I thought of that, I thought, this is a spiritually stressful way to live. If this is the way we live our life, no wonder we're stressed spiritually. We pray for a current pain that we're having, a uh, current problem that we might have, our situation, and it really sums it up, not all the time, many times, is, oh, please help me get out of this situation. I'm in a situation, I'm in a financial mess here, I'm in a physical, I have a physical problem, something's going on, I just say, oh, God, please, just get me out of this situation. And that's a stressful, as I said, way to live your life, spiritually speaking, is that I just call on God when I'm in problems. So Paul, though, we see here, his prayer life was a life of prayer. And it's keyed in on these words, I have not stopped. Another way, right down from there, he, he says, I keep asking. And if you, if you, some of you, I'm always afraid you're going to look up in the lexicon and find out all oh, those words aren't there. Well, they're not there, but grammatically they're there. They're emphasis, the implied words there. And that's why many of your translations will repeat it again. I have not stopped or I have not stopped asking. And he's talking about his uh, asking God to, do, to, to help uh, the, the Christians in Ephesus. Paul was not literally on his knees praying all day. The words say, I have not, if you take it literally, I have not stopped, he's doing it. And if so, when did he have time to write the letter that he's writing? He wasn't praying on his knees while he wrote this letter. When did he have time to share his faith? When did he have time to go to the grocery store? He went down, I showed you a picture of the Agora, the area, the shopping area of Ephesus. And he went down there and bought his groceries and made tents. We see that. And yet he says, I have not stopped praying. What this is doing is speaking of a lifestyle. This is a way of thinking. This is a pattern of life. This is what he's doing. We, we think that prayer only counts or is more effective or God listens better to us if we are praying in a certain way, in a certain style. 
I hear people say, we really need to pray as if other prayers aren't real. Or what, what do we mean by really need to pray if we've been praying? Do we have real prayers and kind of real prayers and really real prayers? I don't think so. If I get up an hour earlier, if I'm on my knees, if, I, if I'm crying in prayer, if I have an organized prayer list, if somehow I can uh, suffer and, and do something, I don't know what it is, then my prayer life is going to be bigger and stronger and better and more effective. And the pressure when I was younger was on me to do something in prayer that left me continually frustrated. And maybe you're not here. Maybe I'm not relating to you. But to me, I, I was always wondering, what am I missing? What am I doing wrong? Because I hear about these people that are praying and doing things. And, and I had one, one friend of mine ask me, he said, when do you pray? And he really wasn't asking. You know, it's one of those questions they ask you, but they really don't want your answer. They want to tell you what they do. And so I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I get up at 5 o'clock. Every morning at 5 o'clock, I'm, you know, on my knees, and I pray, and then I do this. And then he said, and you should too. That was the answer, 5 o'clock prayers, and then it would be better. I'm reminded of a godly young man. And again, he's not here either. But a godly young man who decided, you know, I just need to be closer to God. I need to get closer to God. I need to do something. And so he decided he was going to get up before everyone else, about an hour before everyone else, sit at his kitchen table, open his Bibles, really focus on the Word and pray during that time. And the very first morning he did it, he opened his Bible. He, he, began, he put his hands down ready to pray, and he heard a little pitter-pat of feet. And he looked up, and his little three-year-old daughter was walking in. And he told me, you know, I want to tell her, go back to bed. I am praying. I'm trying to be holy right now. Get, you know, get in your bed. And literally, that's what he told me. And he said, it just dawned on him. Here he is doing his best to get closer to God, and he's disturbed by his daughter, and he just wants to fuss at her and tell her, get on back to bed. And it recurred to him how, how hypocritical that is. The very thing I'm trying to get into that's going to help me live a better life. And then I fuss at my daughter when she doesn't need to be fussed at. She just wanted to spend some time with daddy. And you know what he did? He just, he just said, well, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll just spend time with her. And he spent time with his little daughter. You know, there's not, I don't want you to misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with praying at certain times. And in certain ways, life circumstances often call us to pray for emergency situations and pains and sufferings. And, and there's different attitudes and different urgencies. I'm not discounting anything of that. But what I am saying is this. Let me see if I can get this walking in life prayer that Paul is talking about, that Paul models for us. He says it in First. Uh, Thessalonians 5.16, pray continually or pray without ceasing. It's that same idea of a constant, this is my life. And I, and I want to propose to us all that if we are not praying like that, a walk of prayer, a walk of life in prayer, 
then those moments of organized, focused prayer are going to be sources of stress and frustration because we're only going to feel like we're doing the right thing if we're in that particular time. Am I making sense? I kind of, okay, I see some that he is not. I saw a lot of blank faces, so I didn't know. I don't know if you're thinking or... And you don't have to agree with me here, but you'd be wrong. But, <laughs> but it says, this is our life. This is our you know, walk of life. You know, we say, our worship is our life. And then we say, but our prayer is just time, moments of time. Or is it the way we live our lives? You know, our problem is this, smartphones that keep us dumb. We're so busy with our smartphones that they keep us dumb. We're so busy with time-saving devices, we have no time. We're so involved with our sports and I, and I, and I, staying up on the March Madness myself, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But we quench the spirit. Amen. Our TVs have caused our mind to shift into idle and we no longer think. And that's very general. There's nothing wrong with smartphones. There's nothing wrong with a blender. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with TVs. But, but we let them all distract us from our walk of life that they, they are filling our minds with everything else. And no wonder we forget God. To pray in this way, this walk of life prayer takes deliberate, I think, planning. To use my time in active and effective prayer continually. It's a habit. The habit of walking through our life in prayer. It's the constant awareness of the presence of God. God is not in the office, the other office, ready for us to punch the button. He's not sitting at his desk waiting for us to call him. He is in our presence now. From the moment I wake up, the continual thankfulness in my life, the request throughout the day, the constant availability of looking for the opportunities that God is putting in my life is how I pray continually. It's just my walk of life. Do you commune? Do you talk with God as you walk through your life, or do you forget God? If you're forgetting God throughout the day, I want to propose to you that you're not praying as Paul has told us. I have not stopped praying. I continually have God and, and life on my mind. I'm continually bringing that up to him. And yet there's some triggers of prayer. Paul had a trigger of prayer. And so I want to say, what triggers your life? What causes you to say, now, I need to pray about that? Because... When I say I pray for people, I can't, if I, if I pray for everyone that I say I pray for, I would never do anything else. I mean, from the time I've ever said, I'll pray for you, my list would, so, would be so big, I don't know, I would not have, I, you, you know what I'm saying? I would have 90,000 things to pray for. So I'm not talking about a list of things of prayer, but I'm saying what triggers, and what not often triggers is, as I said before, an event or an appointment. There's an event. Something happens in my life. Something good, something bad happens to my life. It drives me to God. Oh, that was real good. Thank you, God, for that. So that event drove me to prayer. Something bad happened in my life. So I go, God, please help me on this. An event drives me. Or an appointment. At 6 in the morning, I'm going to pray. At 10 at night, I'm going to pray. So that's often how we pray. But on the other hand, prayer driven by that time, this, this set-up uh, appointment with God, as I said, nothing's wrong with that. There's examples of the Bible that's do, uh, of doing that. But what triggered Paul's prayer? 
And he says, this is what triggered his prayer. Their faith in the Lord Jesus. When he, what triggered his prayer, his walk of prayer, was their faith in the Lord Jesus. Their upward life triggered what we will look at our next journey, the inward, and it's talking about the, the body of Christ, inward body of Christ, that triggered this prayer. His thought of their faith triggered his prayer, and we see a connection between the two. He says, it's their faith in the Lord Jesus. And that phrase literally means the down alongside or the down among your faith, which means it's a daily exercise of faith. Faith is not a religious exercise to be done at certain times in certain prescribed ways, but it's a daily life. Just as your prayer life is daily and continually, so is your faith. Your faith doesn't turn off and turn on like, our, like we often think our our uh, prayer life does. It's a moment-by-moment moment walk. Faith is more than just believing in the Lord Jesus. It begins there. We have to start there, of course. That's the beginning of our, our, our faith, but it's far more than that. Faith is deeper. Faith penetrates one's life that evokes positive change. If you are not changing positively, more like Christ, your faith is weak. Faith is something that invokes you to, to have a deeper uh, relationship with God. It, it, it makes change happen in your life. Faith is centering our life in something or someone. And in this case, it's centering our life in Jesus. He's the one that we re revolve around. As you walk through the day, again, is your, is your faith something that God is over there, Jesus is over there, or is he with you all the time? And that's, that's the difference. We walk through faith says, God is right here with me. I center my life in Jesus every step. Faith is placing allegiance in him. And that's particularly seen in this word, the word Lord here, he says. He's king. He rules my life. He directs my actions. He directs my thought. He directs my purpose daily, moment by moment. And so my allegiance is, is to him. So I'm always tweaking myself because I say, that's not the attitude I'm supposed to have. So I try and tweak it. Why is that not the attitude I'm supposed to have? Because, that, because my king says, don't have that attitude. Don't do that action. Don't live that way. And so I'm constantly, because he's my king, because he's my lord, I'm always having to adjust my life and, and my allegiance is because my allegiance is in him. How am I to think? How am I to act? Do my attitudes line up in his direction? Am I self-centered or am I God-centered? And that's the constant call of my faith. And he says, so when I thought of their faith, I prayed for them. The second thing he says, and their love for all God's people. This is how faith is demonstrated. When people love, their faith is demonstrated. And Jesus made that clear when he said, this is how people will know you're my disciples. He didn't say, this is how you, people will know my disciples through your religious activities. This is how people will know you're my disciples, by your prayer and your fasting. This is how people will know you're my disciples, by your Bible study and your Bible knowledge, or by your benevolence or by your sacrifice. And all these things are good, but they're not the primary mark of faith. All those things, I should say, are necessary, but are not the primary mark of faith. It's this act of love. We are known by our love for one another. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, there's three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of them is love. So he said, that's where we have to focus. 
And so Paul had heard of their faith, their love, and it just it clicked this thankfulness for them. What's thankfulness? Opposite of thankfulness, grumbling, complaining. You know what the opposite is? Taking things for granted. That's really the opposite of thankfulness. We just kind of go through life, take it for granted. We don't really know how thankful, thankful we should be of certain things until we lose them. Then we're thankful for them. I take my car for granted. I go out to the car. I expect to turn it on and it run. I take it for granted. Until the day I walk out and the tire's flat. And then I no longer take for granted full tires. Air's in my tires. The engine starts when I turn it. And I'm thankful. I'm reminded when I lose what was important to me, then I'm reminded, you know, I shouldn't take these things for granted. I should, be a, I should have a thankful spirit. We could take it for granted that Christians express their faith and their love for one another. And then we just go on our merry way. Instead of looking at one another and saying, you know, I'm not taking you for granted. When you express your faith, it's, it's, a, it's a call of thanksgiving on my heart. When I see your love for one another, my heart should well up in thanksgiving. But we get so used to expressions of faith. We get so used to loving one another, we just kind of like, ho-hum, go on our merry way. But Paul did not, and we, neither should we. It triggered in him a heart of thanksgiving, of thankfulness to God for such people. And so what was the subject of his prayer? Subject of his prayer, he says, May God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want to read a, a parallel passage over in Colossians chapter 1. He almost says the same thing. This prayer is very, very similar. And I, I have the opinion that he wrote these right after each other. He wrote one, and he said, Okay, send, let's send that one there. And then he said, Ah, and I need to write to the Colossians too. And he wrote them. And he says in verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We have not stopped praying for you. It's that life of prayer. And asking God to fill you with knowledge, the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. I mean, he, what he's saying here is, you know, when I, when I think, when I look at your faith and I look at your love for one another, I just thank God and I just say, God, just give them the Spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Here's just the Spirit that is from the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And it points to our fundamental need. You know, there's a lot of things that we can ask God for. We're, we're triggered to ask God for spiritual growth, for physical healing. Uh, we pray for our government. We pray for the growth of the church. All these things are good, but this is, must be undergirded by the most fundamental truth. And that most fundamental truth is a prayer to know him better. All those other things are good, but if we miss this, we're building on a very shaky foundation. Before all the other good prayers, he brings us back once again, and he centers us back into knowing God. 
And every Christian knows God. Hebrews talks about that. We know God. We know him in the sense that we need him. We know him in the sense that Christ's sacrificial life was for us. His death was for us. We, we uh, know him in the, in the sense that we responded to that. But it grows from there. Paul says, now that you've started your journey, I just pray that you get to know him better and better and better. Life deals with us hard blows, tough circumstances. And during hard times, there's this tendency to, I think, lose focus on God. These raising children, just losing jobs, having family members suffer, all those things, and we become focused on those, those things, and we lose our focus on God. And this is especially true if you haven't been growing spiritually. So Paul says, you know, the thing that will, that will, that will give you a foundation when those hard times come is knowing God better. If you, have, if you don't have that, if you don't have that foundation, you're going to have hard times in your life. There's more that Paul prays for. We're just going to mention them. In these verses, he prays that we'll be open, that, they're, they're, he's, uh, that you will open your spiritual eyes so that you'll know what's in store for you, this glorious inheritance in the saints. And then he adds to that, he says, I want you to know of a surging power that runs through a Christian's life. It, it, he calls it in, incomparable power. Power that is connected some way to the very resurrection power of God. He said, man, I just want you to know God better. And I know, want you to know what you've got, uh, what's in store for you. And I want you to know that there's power in you. And, and many of us don't know that. Many of us, our surface knowledge of God is, is surface. Our knowledge of God is surface. And we never think of what's in store for us. And we don't have, understand or believe that there's resurrection power in us. And that's why we'll have to develop that later when we come back to this passage. Later at the end of chapter 3, he has another prayer. And if you want to go ahead and cheat and read ahead, go ahead. Read chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, and compare it to this prayer. Read this prayer in chapter 1, and then read the one in chapter 3, and it's as if he expands on that prayer. But I want you to notice that this prayer is more of a God-centered prayer than a me-centered prayer. It's not give me, protect me, help me, God, but it's help me know God. Help me know God. How do I get to know God better? I came up with a cute little way to do that. Let's go for a swim. Everyone can remember a swim, can't you? All right. This is how you get to know God better. It's an acronym, all right? Is that it? Acronym? Yeah. Number one, surround yourself with God. This is not in any particular order. Everyone's like, why, don't you, why didn't the A come up first? It comes up last because swim A did not work. A swim did. All right. But these are some things that you can do that will help you get to... How do I get to know God better? Surround yourself with God's people. 
You will learn a lot about God when you're with God's people. And I'm not talking about at church. I'm talking about in your life. Who's your friends? Who do you hang out with? When you, when you, when you, have, to, when you have something to do, who do you go to? When you have a, a, an event, a, a, a dinner, a lunch, a party, whatever, who do you surround yourself with? God's people. You want to know God better? Get, to, get, get around God's people. Number two, walk through life in prayer. That's what we've been talking about today. Tra if, you're, if you do not do this, begin training yourself to do this. Train yourself to is when you wake up, just thank God. Just walk through life. Be aware that he's here. When things happen in your life, as you go, as you drive, just look around you and thank God for the beauty. Thank God for the protection. Thank God for a car that works. Thank God for a job that you have. We complain about all these things. My car is a 2000, what is it, 2010 or 1999, the beat up one that we have right now. And, but we would have had to walk here today if I didn't have a 99 car to get here. So thank God for that. Just walk through life in thankfulness and in prayer, making all your requests known to him. Immerse yourself in God's word. Did you read your Bible this week? Did you open up the Bible this week? Did you pay attention to God's word? Immerse yourself in God's word. This is how you get to know God better. And then meditate on the goodness of God. Meditate on the person of Christ. You do that, you will get to know God better and then everyone's like, what is the A? Apply them to your life. You've got to just apply these things to your life. Doing it continually. Let's go for a swim this week. Let's get to know God better. And God will bless us as we walk with him and as we walk with each other. Our elders are here. They'll come forward and they will.